Kind of ironic for me to be recording this episode in a closet, but uh, today I'm going to be talking to myself. My name is B. Highland. It's short for Brett Ashley Highland. I'm a writer and aspiring writer, I guess, but I write. So I'm a writer. I'm a writer from the D.C. metropolitan area. I'm 17 years old. I, um, I like dogs. I like bad sitcoms. I don't know. I like uh, floral shirts. I like watching Queer Eye for the eighth time and just crying and maybe re-watching the AJ episode about 17 times. Um, yeah, and today I, I just want to get some stuff out. And I feel like this is sort of an a weird episode for this show. I knew it was inevitable, but due to a host of just my own emotional state right now and scheduling issues, it came up this week. So I'm going to be talking about myself. I'm going to be talking about recovery. I'm going to be talking about, I don't know, being gay. I'm going to try and be a little silly about it. I'm going to tell jokes, you know. Um, it's not going to be a bummer, but yeah. So I, I haven't watched Nanette yet. I feel like that's a good place to start just because I'm better at talking about my feelings through the lens of media. Uh, but I haven't watched Nanette yet. It's, um, for the unknown, it's a stand-up special, which might be a bit of a, um, too broad of a term for it or too narrow of a term for it, depending on your definition of the words narrow and broad about, um, self-deprecation, particularly that which, um, people from marginalized groups go through, particularly butch lesbians. Um, it's a comic named Hannah Gadsby. Forgive me if I'm pronouncing her name wrong. Um, she, is talking about why she's quitting comedy. I've only seen bits and pieces of it, but that's just because, like, I feel like a lot of us dykes who write the less badass cousins of the dykes on bikes, uh, like, I feel like we've already lived our trauma and we don't want to live, like, empower ourselves through the trauma of others all the time. I don't know, like, it's, it's hard for me to watch Love Fucking Simon just because it's a slightly similar outing to mine, and I I don't know how to, like, process it. I don't... I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I'm coming up on four years after I got outed. It was... I was in eighth grade. It was other eighth graders, so I don't... I don't really blame them, but I still carry a lot of the weight of those events with me. After all these years, and it still really affects how I run my life, 
like after that happened, I, um, I, I went to a high school where nobody I knew went. I changed my name or shortened it rather than changed it, I suppose. I started being like loudly and proudly a lesbian instead of just like, oh, you know, she's a little bit not girly, but she could, she could be straight. She could, she could have a boyfriend. She could marry a man. I just started being so loud about being gay and loving it, even though I was like still dealing with that internalized homophobia that we so often have as young people, like just raised in the society. So I was sort of forced. I don't want to say forced because I do love being out. I do love just claiming my own agency and all that. But I was kind of forced to do that ultimately just out of fear of what happened to me four years ago happening again. I was, um, I'm still afraid of showing affection to other women just out of fear of being accused of being predatory, you know? And I'm still afraid to talk openly about romantic feelings I might have for another woman. And that just sucks, you know? And I, I, I don't know how to sort of combine that with pride, I guess. And I, I go to pride festivals during June. Uh, I went to Capital Pride for the first time this year, which was uh, insane and wonderful. And it's I feel like it's not until you feel like surrounded by joy that you realize how, I don't know, like how unsatisfied you are with living in a heterosexual cis-normative society, you know? Like I'm seeing all these beautiful, strong people who are just like defying gender, defying what the world wants for them and I feel happy and I feel at home and I just sort of realized that it's so stressful for me to conform for other LGBT people to conform I don't know but it it's interesting I guess it's interesting to me that we thrive when we thrive, you know, but I don't know. It influences the way I write a lot, this, um, living in a heteronormative society because I like writing about women. I like writing about women who love other women, but even when I'm not writing about romance, there's like an innate desire to center women and woman aligned people in my work like it it gets kind of ridiculous at points just like I was in a film class of all dudes and I um I wrote a story with two female leads they weren't romantically involved or anything and that that got criticized for being unrealistic which is a whole other thing to unpack but instead of like combating it reasonably and letting it go I kind of got angry and I wrote like punk rock, um, 
punk rock lesbian rom-com instead of just this nice, sweet little friendship story I had planned to write. And it got, it got good feedback. My only real criticism was that it was too gay. So, you know, I'm going to consider that a win. I don't know. Um, huh. It's really difficult talking to yourself, I guess. Um, I'm obsessed with monologues a little bit. Just um, if you listen to my other podcast, Violet Beach, you might know this. But I think that the way we talk to ourselves and talking to others by talking to ourselves is really... I think it's an interesting form of communication. Um, I love voicemails. I love, I don't love leaving voicemails or listening to voicemails, but I love the concept of them. I love letters. I, I read love letters in my free time a lot. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a poetry nerd. I think that poetry is such an interesting form of art. And I do consider it, kind of a monologue when delivered verbally but yeah I'm fascinated by it but I'm so afraid of it um the first time I ever did stand-up I kind of blacked out halfway through and I, I apparently I did okay but um I really don't remember anything I said um it, it's bizarre I just with monologuing you're there's that balance that you have to strike between communicating to an audience and telling your own truth and that's often very difficult for us to do that's why therapy is often so difficult when when um there's a moment when your therapist is just quiet for minutes on end and you sort of have that that realization like oh fuck me um yeah um, and there's that very, like, innately emotional component to it, too. And I feel like in comedy, even, the best the best comics get emotional within their work. They talk about these very personal topics and these very um, them things, things that they know intimately. And they invite the audience in on them. So there's that balance you have to strike between letting the audience in and then keeping your own self comfortable. I, I'm more obsessed with dialogue, though. I think that the way we talk to each other is the most beautiful thing in the world, which sounds like some corny hipster bullshit, like put that on a throw pillow sell it for $70 at an antique shop in Brooklyn. Do they have antique shops in Brooklyn or just stores that look like antique shops? I don't know. I've never been to Brooklyn except for maybe... No, I went there on a trip in eighth grade. Yeah. Um, hmm. I started making podcasts as a way to sort of get my art out there. Um, well, the first podcasts I started were for goofs. Um, one lasted one whole episode and wasn't great. Um, I love my co-host with it, but we just did not put as much effort into it as we should have. And that shows. 
Uh, my second one was a goof with my friend, Teresa. Um, y'all might have heard of it. Y'all might not have, but we did catch the attention of the NBC Universal Communications Department, and in the end, I think that's what matters. And then Violet Beach was an expression of my writing. That's the real one that I'm doing for art. And this one sort of came out of that, where I want... I'm seeing youth stories being told inaccurately. So I want to tell them accurately. I feel like I'm doing that with Violet Beach, at least. And I hope I'm doing that with this. But so it's so rare for me that we see the stories of young people told accurately um, without too much dramatization or criticism, I suppose. Like, criticism of the youth is inevitable and understandable, but... We, we shouldn't have a disdain for our younger selves, is my point. Um, something that really nailed that, um, like, actually getting youth right, I feel, was eighth grade, which I saw with uh, Teresa, who um, I did the Chuck Todd cast and later Violet Beach with um, recently, and it just, like, even though it, it's not my experience, really, other than, like, having a terrible eighth grade year. Um, I, I just connected with it intimately. And I, I haven't felt that with a film, like a coming-of-age film, until very recently. Um, like, Lady Bird, I did connect a lot to just because I, too, am an obnoxious theater kid who wants to go to school in New York or somewhere else where culture is. Um, but I didn't really feel like that understood me as much as, or my generation so much. And it wasn't intending to understand my generation. It was, intend, it, it was intending to understand its director's generation, which is totally understandable, yeah. Eighth grade really nailed what it feels like to be a young person now. And even though I'm, I'm the age of the high school-aged characters in the film, it really connected with me. Um, like, there's that whole scene about the main character got Snapchat in fifth grade. I got it in eighth grade. And it was still just bizarre, thinking back on it, that this site was... Not site, app, was... Uh, built for this kind of um, entirely this entirely sexual purpose, I'll say that's and it's being used by like 13 and 14 year olds and I was a particularly emotionally unhappy 13, 14 year old at that time due to reasons mentioned earlier and I'm glad I didn't do reckless shit with it but it's just bizarre. And I'm not anti-social media by any means. I love social media. It, it helps you connect with the rest of the world. And um, it's interesting to be one of those people who's developed at least a small following online. Um, like in comparison to the main character of 8th grade. I'm still thinking about this movie. Sorry, I've lost track a little bit. But I don't know. Um... There's a lot of discussion about internet fame and um, how social media hurts and connects youth in that film. And I feel like it really just 
nails it. Um, but I want the stories of young people, particularly young women, particularly LGBT women, particularly or LBT, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, particularly women of color, disabled women. You know, I just think that that's so important that we get our stories told. And I, I hope that I'm doing that through this show, but I want to keep doing that. I'm writing a, a script right now about young women or teenage girls. That, that's the phrase I mean. I mean teenage girls. I'm a teenage girl. My guests are teenage girls. My characters are teenage girls. But who just sort of languish in their misery together until they sort of find the brighter parts of being alive. And I, I think that's worth exploring. Like there are so many unhappy teenage girls out there and they need, they need something to, I'm not like saying sad girl representation now, just because I, I think that that's ultimately fucking dumb. Like we don't need more sad cinema, but we need to talk about the, the epidemic of depression among young women, the sort of issues that are innate to being a young, to, to being a teenage girl that are so quickly dismissed, like to avoid too much um, personal bullshit. I was often considered just a creative kid who was a little bit dis disorganized because of that creativity. And as it turned out, I had ADHD that was really genuinely affecting me in a way that I couldn't phrase at the time, that my teachers couldn't phrase at the time, that my family couldn't phrase at the time. And I don't think that it would have been disregarded until very recently if I were a dude. I don't know. Um, we just, we ignore the issues of young women for, because they're either petty or they're more mature than that. We, we simultaneously infantilize and age up teenage girls. And I don't like that. I like being at the place in my life where I am, this awkward, terrible intersection between childhood and adulthood. It's, it's such an interesting place to be. And I, I have opinions that are that need to get out there, but I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm mature by any means. I'm not saying that I'm immature by any means. We just, we refuse to acknowledge complexity in young women, but we expect the world of them. And I don't know how to fix that other than by telling stories that are true to their lives. I really do think that art is the most important thing in the world. I made a joke about that on the Violet Beach Twitter the other day, and I feel like like it came across as kind of dismissive of that thought, that sort of train of thought that art is more important than anything. And I agree that it's kind of corny, it's kind of silly. But, like, when I'm... I've been going through a kind of a rough patch lately... And when I was in Boston this weekend, I 
I went up to the ICA and for a little while I was just alone in there staring at a piece and just crying and it felt so cathartic in a way I still don't understand. And it, it was a piece about being a woman. It was a piece about, I believe, being some not cishet. And it just felt right. It felt not like it was completing me, but it felt like it was something that I needed to see. And I feel the same way when I consume a piece of media that I really connect with. I felt like that watching eighth grade. I felt like that when I listened to a, fuck, I'm forgetting, uh, The Bright Sessions and um, with the two teenage, two, two teenage boys who were in love. I felt like that then. I felt there's just this sense of, oh, wow, there are stories about me that there are stories about people like me. There are stories that understand me. And I think that's something beautiful. That that's the, the someone's project, somewhat, someone's dream can reach somebody hundreds of miles away from them, years younger than them, years older than them, and just connect with them intimately. And that's sort of my philosophy with this show. That's my philosophy with being an artist. That's my philosophy with talking to others. I don't know. I just... It feels stupid talking to myself in a closet, which is also the autobiography of my middle school years, or the title of the memoir about my middle school years and how terrible they were. But, um, I don't know. It's, like I said at the beginning, this episode of this show was inevitable. Um, because I'm always talking, but I'm not talking about myself. And I think that it's important that we talk about ourselves. I I'm okay talking about myself. I'm finally at a point where I'm willing to be open about parts of me that I used to be afraid of. Um, like I was talking about earlier with being gay, like I was so afraid of how, not my family, because my family's been great about it. I was so afraid about how they'd react I was so afraid of how my, my peers would react. And they didn't react well, you know? And now I'm recovering from that. I'm proud of who I am. I've met other people who, um, who were gay or bi or trans or queer and everything amongst that. And I've found peace in that. I found joy in that. And I think that sharing those stories of not it gets better, but it becomes okay is an important thing for us to do, even at young ages. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so to wrap things up, I want to talk about music because that's a good way to stop talking about our feelings. 
Um, I have been basically for the last five, not five, but three years just sort of crying to Mitski alone. But I finally found an album that I can cry to alone without being too bummed out. I love you, Mitski, but you make me cry so much, and I love you. Um, Sydney Gish, who was actually opening for Mitski right now, has um, two albums out on Spotify. I don't know about otherwise, but um, her music is just so, like, so so specific, but so like largely relatable. The first song I ever heard by her was uh, "Homecoming Surf," which um, it's a very like quick, fast-paced tune, I guess. Like um, it drops through subjects very. It runs through its subjects very quickly, sort of loosely connected, talking about bisexuality and driving and thinking about the future and not really being sure how to handle adulthood. And it it just really connected with me in a way that for a while no music really had. And then I listened to the rest of her discography and it's like, it's all of her songs are very distinct, but the themes are again, they share that very, very clear specific, I can never pronounce that word, specificity while retaining relatability. So I really connect to this one song. It's Afternoon I'm Feeling Sick. It's off her album, um, it's off her album, Ed Buys Houses. And it's, um, it's just, it's another one of the more like running through subjects songs, but it, it just feels very like natural, very stream of consciousness. And because of that, very intimately relatable to the listener. So yeah, listen to that album, listen to everything she's ever put out. Um, tell your story. Email me if you want to tell your story on here. Fuck, I don't know. Make your own podcast. Watch eighth grade in theaters. Um, this isn't paid. This is just me yelling at everybody to go watch that movie right now. Um, hmm. Check us out on iTunes. Review us, please. Um, just because it took us approximately 17 years to get put up on iTunes. Um, follow us on Twitter at Teenage Girls Pod. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Zoe Crawley does our theme music, and she is so excellent. She's a good friend of mine. Um, all of her mu- um, her album in four years is up on Spotify. It's a really great album if you like just chill stuff. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. I love you. Goodbye.
Tell me that